Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail and buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot! Beep beep! Welcome back to another round of drinks with your bartender, Trish. And today's drink, the recipe I found, they call it a Georgia peach. We definitely feel like it tastes like a sex on the beach, but it's like a much... um, (laughs) Much easier route. (laughs) Yes, it's a very easy route to go about making it. Because like a sex on the beach is like a Long Island, so it has... Kind of, yeah multiple things and i feel like this just has a handful of ingredients yes so call it georgia peach you can call it the lazy man sex on the beach it don't matter all you need for this is peach schnapps rum orange juice and a cranberry it can be regular cranberry or it can be our favorite the cranberry peach so good And with it being a peach drink, I think it adds to it. So, you take one ounce of your peach schnapps, and then an ounce of, they say a white rum. I'm a Bacardi person, so I use my Bacardi Silver. And then it is two ounces of orange juice, and either one to two ounces of cranberry. I've been using two ounces of cranberry, because I feel like it just cuts the orange juice flavor down so one ounce of your peach one ounce of your rum and then two ounces of your juice you can shake and pour it over ice or you can just pour it in your glass and stir it's good either way highly recommend like said if you like sex on the beach like sweeter drinks this is a good alternative you'll love it because it's not too strong (laughs) so definitely try it out let us know what you think and you can find the recipe for it on Instagram or what TikTok, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all those good things. We also have our email. And just as a reminder, at the top, we do post these episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And we'll just kick you off to the crime. Yep. Make sure you have your cocktail ready, friends. Welcome back to another case with your crime tender Sloan. I like that. I think that was a good one. (laughs) I usually stumble over it, but another case with your crime tender Sloan. I think I might have found it. All right. Anyways, today we are talking about Amber Hagerman, who is pretty much the reason that we have the Amber Alert. Yes. Which is why I wanted to talk about this story today. Amber Hagerman was a nine-year-old girl from Arlington, Texas. She lived with her mother, Donna. Ah, y'all, journalism must be a really hard field because I found three different last names for this woman with no explanation between the three. And I, I I sounded very dismissive. I know journalism is a very hard career. That's why I didn't want to do it. But... I found three different last names for this woman. 
I know that one of them is her maiden name, but as for the other two last names, I'm not really sure, like, what's what. Yeah. I'm not sure if one's her middle name. Anyways, so Donna Norris or Williams or Whitson. Take your pick. Okay. Also, she had a younger brother named Ricky Hagerman. He was five at the time of the story. They lived in an apartment complex just a few blocks away from the maternal grandparents. And since they lived so close to each other, they would have several like family dinners each week. And the kids even kept their bikes at their grandparents' house. Uh, just because it was like, you know, safer slash better for them to ride around their grandparents' neighborhood versus an apartment complex. As somebody who lives in an apartment complex, understood. Yes. Understood. I couldn't really find a whole lot about Amber's father. Uh, his name is Richard Hagerman. I do know that much. And him and Donna never were married, as far as I could tell. But they did <laughs> live together, was my understanding. And they um, broke up and moved apart from each other about a year before all of this happened. Yes. So... Uh, Donna and the kids were actually featured on the local Dallas news in early January. They were filmed for a special about welfare reform. Donna was the perfect subject for this little documentary because she was a single mom. She was working to get her GED and she was successfully becoming independent. She had gotten off of all of her welfare from the state. So part of me questions like maybe did this all happen because this little she girl was, was on the news? I would say, yeah. Because everybody talks about this because whenever it happens, this news station gets, like, all access to the family because they were already working with them before this all happened. Yeah. But, like, my 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 couch detective brain, that's what I'm trying to say, my couch detective brain, I'm like, did somebody see this girl on the news and was like, I want that. And yeah, then this happened. And by this, I mean this horrific story. So, January 13th, 1996, started out just like any other Saturday for the family. Donna and the kids went over to the parents' house a little early for dinner. So, the kids set off for a short bike ride at 3.10 p.m. Amber was told by her mother to watch over Ricky. The kids ended up at an abandoned Winn-Dixie parking lot to ride down the quote-unquote cool ramp. And as somebody who grew up behind a Winn-Dixie, I know exactly what they're talking about. <laughs> like, it's that little trolley up ramp that they'll bring the products up sometimes. Yeah. I Abandoned parking lots are really fun to ride shit. Goodness. That was, a whole, that was a whole word vomit right there. Abandoned parking lots are a fun place to ride cool shit. But... So they ended up there. They were riding up and down the cool ramp. The, ramp. the Winn-Dixie was less than a quarter of a mile away from their grandparents' house. It's unclear if Amber sent Ricky home ahead of her or if he decided to head back on his own because the instructions that Donna, their mo mom, gave them was like, hey, y'all can go for a very quick bike ride, but make sure you come back very soon. Yeah. So whether Amber told him, hey, it's time for you to go home, or if he was like, hey, we're supposed to be getting home, mom said, and she was like, well, I'm still riding. Either way, Ricky left to go, and Amber stayed behind in the parking lot. 
After Ricky was out of view, a black pickup truck drove up, snatched Amber off of her pink bicycle, kicking and screaming, before throwing her inside the cab of his truck and driving off at 3.18 p.m. Eight minutes. That's all it took. She left her mom's eyesight at 3.10, and she was kidnapped at 3.18. When Ricky arrived back home without his sister, the adults worried, but they kind of waited a few minutes to see if Amber was going to come back home, and whenever she didn't show up, they immediately started searching for her. The grandfather took his truck, drove off, and that was whenever he pulled up at the Winn-Dixie and his heart dropped out of his butt, man, because there were police already on the scene yeah. investigating. He pulled up, he saw the police, and then he saw the bicycle that he had gotten his granddaughter for Christmas a couple of weeks before laying on the ground. Yeah. There's one thing I do want to say. Like, this is, what, early 80s? 90s. It was 96. Yeah. So, like, this is different time. Like, nowadays, you know, like parents don't let like their kids really out of their sight growing up i remember my parents just be like go outside and play oh yeah absolutely you can ride your bike up the street sure absolutely my my parents were divorced so i have like two very different upbringings but at my dad's like i said i usually live with my grandparents for the most part and they lived on a community college campus and we were allowed to go wherever we wanted to yeah. We could ride our bikes all over that college campus. I hurt myself a lot. <laughs> but I'm just saying that because I'm sure there are going to be some people there like, she let them be out of their, her sight. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how we grew up. Absolutely. So you might be asking the question, how were the cops already there? If like, you know, the family pretty much immediately started searching for her. Well, an elderly man was in his backyard gardening whenever he witnessed the whole thing go down. He called the cops immediately and he gave them a description for a single cab black truck that he believed was from the 80s, 90s. And that he noticed what direction they drove off in. He noticed you could pretty much go one way to leave town altogether or you could go the other way to head into downtown Arlington. Mm -hmm. And he noticed that they went towards downtown Arlington. He also mentioned that he had noticed the truck hanging out at the laundromat next to the Winn-Dixie earlier in the day. So he had kind of already like made a mental note being like, hey, this is suspicious. Yeah. And then on that note, this is the only witness that has ever come out saying that they saw this happen. Next to the Winn-Dixie was a laundromat. There had to have been more people there. There had to have been more witnesses. And this is a case that is still unsolved. So I feel like somebody out there has answers. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody definitely has answers. But there, somebody was in the laundromat too. Someone had to have seen something. Something. You don't just, I mean, yeah. You, I'm oblivious, so keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you probably would miss a girl getting kidnapped. Me. Ah. Uh, All right, so something that I want to mention here is that I watched two different documentaries and they were very loosely fact-based. So one of them mentioned that it took them like 36 hours to get Amber's disappearance on the news. 
I could not find that confirmed anywhere on the internet because, like, what news station wants to own up to taking 36 hours to report a missing girl? I want to say on Crime Junkies, they did note that it did take a long time. Yeah, it. so if that was a true fact from that movie, let's say it was 36 hours... So Dawn is very upset at this because people could have been looking for her this whole time. And meanwhile, Dawn is just fighting to get her daughter's name and picture out there. Yeah. And that's kind of whenever they pulled in that news station, the ones that had already been interviewing them. Yeah. So kidnapping happened January 13th. Fast forward several days. Four days. January 17th, 1996. A man was walking his dog in a wooded area when he found the body of a young girl near a creek. She was found about four miles from the Winn-Dixie, where Amber had been last seen. And also in the movie that I'm not sure if this was factual or not, and if it is, then this is pure shit. But Donna and her parents saw on the news that the body was found before the police came to the house to tell them that it was Amber. I want to say I remember that. But sure enough... Shit happens. The next day, the medical examiner ruled the cause of death was, quote, cut wounds to the throat, end quote. And they also believe that Amber was kept alive for up to two days before she was murdered. According to police, maintenance workers from the nearby apartment complex were near the area where Amber was found hours before and didn't see anything at the time. There was a theory raised by the Times, a newspaper, that a recent rainstorm could have flooded the creek and carried her body, her body, <laughs> carry her body to where she was found. But if the maintenance workers are legit, this theory is definitely false because they would have seen the body there yeah. when they had been perusing the area for whatever reason. The police do have a suspect for this case. They believe that. In, in the 90s, in 96, this man would have been in his 20s, 30s. So now we're talking 40s, 50s, yeah. maybe 60s. He's white or Hispanic, under like right under six feet tall. He has dark hair. And they believe that he is a local to the Arlington area. They believe he's local because the crime took place in Arling Arlington they went towards the center of Arlington instead of out of the city, and her body was also found in Arlington in a spot that most people wouldn't go to because it was like a very heavily wooded area. Yeah. Me with my devil's advocate here. I think that believing that it's a local is a good place to start. It also kind of pigeonholes your... It absolutely does. Your search. It absolutely does. You and I are both obsessed with Israel Keys. Like, what's not to say that some random person just came into town, they sat in their truck at the laundromat, waited for the perfect opportunity, found it. This is taking place in Texas. You were in a truck. Where are you going to be easier to hide? In downtown with all of the other black, gray, white, pur purple, pink, blue, green trucks? Or on the interstate running away from the crime you just committed. Right. It would make more sense for you to head downtown either way. Because a truck is going to blend in a little bit more around the other trucks. As long as you somewhat drive a little normal. Yeah. It's not like the neighbor got the license tag. Yeah. He just got the color and the make of the truck. 
And then same thing with the wooded area. Like any wooded area is a good wooded area to hide a dead body in this in the same sense that they all are. So like just because that's where you found her doesn't mean the person that put her there was a local. As long as you're decent with nature and you're used to getting yourself out of hairy situations like that, like it is absolutely plausible that anybody could have done it. Yeah. Also, it almost sounds like they're assuming this is his one and only crime. And to me, it sounds like this is too well... It's too perfectly done for this to have not have taken place before. Right. And I feel like that's why I think Israel Keys is so heavy on my heart with this. Like, do I think Israel Keys did this? No, not really. No, he but... never. He didn't really have young victims. Exactly. But it could be a very much similar situation. Yeah. So, anyways, I think that it was dumb to blatantly look specifically mostly for locals. Moving on. Amber's kidnapping and murder left her family and community absolutely devastated. It took so long for the news to report Amber was even missing. And we know that the first 24 to 48 hours are the most crucial yep. in abductions. So the fact that that whole time was spent up trying to get her name and picture out into the news cost them their most precious chance of getting Amber back. Especially if they're saying that they think she was held up to two days mm -hmm. before. Yep. Fall straight in the statistics. A fellow Texas mom, Diana Simone, couldn't stop thinking about this and how they could make a, the system better. Quote, I said, I can't get over this child. There has to be something we can do. There were weather and civil defense alerts, so why wouldn't they have one for this? End quote. So she called her local radio station, pitched her idea. They were like, hey, this sounds like a great idea. And, oh, well, I guess I should tell you about her idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, we have the general, con we kind of know. But her idea was that when a 911 call was placed for abductions, all radio stations would immediately interrupt program to broadcast the alert. So she called the local radio station, told them that. They were like, hey, man, cool idea. We like this. And within two weeks, they were already putting this into plan in Texas. And Diana wrote to the radio station and was like, hey, I think we need to call this Amber Plan. Because... Amber's the one that kind of ignited my heart to do this. I feel like it's only right to dedicate it to her. By the end of 1996, this, this idea was adopted by most of the country and renamed Amber Alert, as we know it today, which means America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. As of today, Amber Alerts are actively used in all 50 states, as well as District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and at least 33 other countries in the world. Amber Alerts have saved over 1,000 children in the U.S. since it has been adopted into our system. And that is just the, like, confirmed cases that have gone through the National Missing, Missing Children's uh, program. Yeah. That's not counting people that, like, you know, maybe their abductor saw the Amber Alert and return them or, you, you know, different things like that. Because... To me, looking at a thousand children since 1996, I feel like we can always be saving more children. But that is 
at least the lower you're end. Saving, yes, so. we are. But my point is that it's the lower end. Yeah, there are definitely more children that it has saved than just that. And we have also been able to adapt the silver alert system. I didn't really look into that, but I do know that it helps find elderly and adults. Yes. So a happy little side story is two days after Amber's plan was implemented in Texas, an eight-week-old baby was kidnapped by her babysitter. I know that's not a happy little side story. It gets better, guys. (laughs) Don't call me crazy yet. I know I am, but... So, 90 minutes after the alert was sent out across the state, someone recognized the babysitter's turquoise truck. How did you think you were going to hide in a turquoise truck? Right. I know I said that you could hide trucks in Texas. I know I said it like five minutes ago. But a turquoise truck. Yeah. And so, they called it in. And Ray Lee Bradbury was found safe, safe in her car seat. She was safe, but hungry, and a little dirty, but overall, she got to go home. Braylee is now 22, 23 years old, hopefully living her best life. She was interviewed four years ago whenever she was entering college and all that kind of stuff. She was also there when George W. Bush signed the uh, National Act asking all states to implement the Amber Alert. So, that's kind of... A cool little thing. Back to Amber's case, though. We are now 26 years after her kidnapping. There have been over 7,000 tips given to Arlington police, the crime tip lines, and all that stuff. And Amber's killer is still out there somewhere, walking free. Maybe dead. I don't know. Either way, he's definitely not paying for his crime, in my opinion. Yeah. I know you might think that he could be locked up already, um, but last year for the 25th anniversary of this case, the authorities actually came out saying that they have DNA evidence from this case that they can run against potential suspects. So I would assume that they have done their due diligence and run it through the national database and whatnot. And so, assuming no glitches in the system here, her killer is not currently sitting in jail or prison somewhere. Yeah. I mean, there are hiccups and glitches, so it it is possible, but tie your own loose loose ends there. Yeah. Detective Grant Gilden, the lead investigator on the cold case, declined to tell the Dallas Morning News that physical evidence, uh, what physical evidence the department has in the case. He's... He said that, you know, he's keeping it close to the chest because it's something that only the killer would know. So he doesn't want to let that part out. But we do know that there is DNA evidence. He also said that uh, technically, while Amber's case is 26 years old, it has never once in that time become a cold case. Because, like, something along the lines of, it has to go 180 days without being touched, no news, no no one looking into it or anything like that to be considered a cold case. And in the past 26 years, they have not been able to go more than 180 days without somebody calling in a tip. Yeah. So, like I said, I do think that this case is solvable. This man is out there somewhere. 
I don't really know anybody from Arlington, Texas. I do have family in Texas, just not Arlington. But if you have any information, if you know anything, you can contact the Arlington Detectives at 817-575-8823. And there is a $10,000 reward available for any tips that lead to an arrest in this case. So, like I said... Even if you don't think it's helpful, you might know something. And if you do, call it in. Amber's family deserves answers. Amber deserves Amber. Amber deserves answers. And I think that we are getting fairly close to having those answers. I hope so, at least. And that's my case. I'm glad that we have the Amber Alert system now. Like, it sucks that it had to happen like this. But... At least we are kind of moving in a direction of doing better for our future. Yeah. I feel it's, like I'm pulling shit out of my ass right now. <laughs> it's fine. But the yeah. margarita's hitting. <laughs> the I know that like I know Crime Junkies definitely did an episode on this. I feel like there's been a few others because I mean it's one that once you start getting into a few cases, you know, Amber Alerts and that come up. So, it is one that, if you're not familiar with, you probably should be. Yeah. And I watched two different movies on this. I watched Amber's Story, which was fairly accurate. And then I watched Amber Alert, which was not accurate at all. <laughs> at all. It was still good, but it was not accurate. But they were, I mean, worth a watch if that's more of your pace for these sort of things. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to kick you off to the last call now. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome back to another last call with your bartender, Trish. And that wasn't the, like, boast. Um, I tried to find something lighthearted like we always do. And I know we've mentioned... Sloan's boys before, but I have two boys of my own, but they're kitty cats. One's mine, one's my roommate's, but they're our boys. So I found some little interesting facts about cats, and I thought that would make a great last call. I'm not going to read all of these because there's like 50, <laughs> we'd be here for forever. We can save the rest for another day. Right. So, did you know that when cats climb a tree, they can't go back down head first? And it's because their claws are facing the same way. So, instead, they have to either go back down backwards or they just have to fall. I wondered why cats were so, like, fearless to go up, but then they'd get stuck and the fire trucks have to come save them. Because I've never seen that in life, just depending on cartoons. <laughs> okay. So, according to a Hebrew legend, God created cats after Noah prayed for help in protecting the food stores on the ark from being eaten by rats. So, in return, God made a lion sneeze and out came a pair of cats. Oh, <laughs> I was like, babies. <laughs> so when cats rub their heads against you as a sign of affection, 
it's actually them marking the U.S. their territory. Yep. And that's because they have their different scent glands in their face, on their tail, and then also on their paws. So when the cats are making biscuits, like, yes, it's cute. But it's also them putting their scent on everything. Yep. Cats are more popular in the United States than dogs are. There are around 80, 88 million pets, like pet cats, versus 75 million pet dogs. I'm not buying it. I, I mean, don't believe it. I get it because... Cat ladies. Crazy well, cat ladies. Not just that, but like cats are a little more self-sufficient. Like if you're one that travels a lot. It's a lot easier to just, like, especially if you're only going to be gone for, like, a day or two. You can literally put food out for a cat, and usually that's all they need. My cat was the devil, and I'm never going to have a cat again. <laughs> the actual devil. Cats can taste... If I can speak. Cats can taste sweetness, and scientists believe it's due to a genetic mutation that affects key taste receptors. I don't understand. Like. I guess. My thing with that. Like. Are you saying they can only taste sweet? No. Can't taste. Sorry. If I could read. So they can't taste sweetness. So. I wish I could not taste sweetness. <laughs> right. That would solve some problems. In Japan, cats are thought to have the power to turn into super spirits when they die. And this may stem from the Buddhist belief that cats are temporary resting places for powerful and very spiritual people. Europe introduced cats into the Americas as a form of pest control in the 1750s. So we have Europeans to thank for it, our slight cat problem here. Thank you. <laughs> White man, no! White man, no! Cats only meow as a way to communicate with their humans. And I knew this, and I still respond back to my cat. <laughs> my favorite's when he meows at me, and I, like, match how he did it. And he looks at me like... What? Oh, you going to speak to me like that? <laughs> and cats can recognize your voice. So, yes, they are just ignoring you if they don't listen. You don't say. The oldest cat video dates back to 1894, and it's called Boxing Cats. The original YouTube. Right. Cats and humans have nearly identical sections of the brain that control emotions. I believe it. I can see it because I feel like cats can be <laughs> very emotional little things. And I think the last one I'm going to do is cats can move both ears separately and about 180 degrees around. And I think that's, I think I've read somewhere they have like 20 something muscles in their ear. Mm -hmm. So... Like I said, there's a lot. I'll have to read through and see if there's any more interesting little things in this, but... That was fun. I may. I always love finding out things about my little, my little assholes. Little assholes. 
my cat is. I always look at him. I go, I don't know where you get all this sass from. Walrus. <laughs> the other day, he got mad at Logan because she forgot to give the boys their scoop of food before mm-hmm. she went to work. And I was already at work. So they didn't get fed till like 10 at night. Yeah. And their dinner time's 5 or 5.30. Mm-hmm. So she got home. They were upset. I got home because I went and picked me and Logan up food and they yelled at me and I was like look I didn't forget to feed you yeah and then that night walrus so walrus sleeps with me Mm -hmm. and guacamole sleeps with Logan walrus decided he was going to try to steal my spot in the bed with me in it by trying to push me out he's a like 18 pound cat I mean, he a big boy, but he's not that big. And he's using his full weight to push me out of the bed. (laughs) Because he was angry about his food. Yep. He's a little asshole. He is. But I love him. (laughs) But that is my last call. Be sure to check us out every Tuesday and Friday for a new episode. Let us know if you have some maybe interesting facts that you want us to put into a last call if you maybe have drink recipes all that rate us let us know what you're thinking mm-hmm. we have all of your socials you can find drink recipes the like pictures and stuff from like about the cases we are a little behind give us some time we're getting there it's, it's been a rough couple of weeks okay <laughs> Um, life got hard real quick. <laughs> we also have our email address, tequila she wrote at gmail.com. You can always send us an email, let us know if you're liking the show, if you have any suggestions, anything like that. Any requests? Yes, we have our Patreon. Patreon. We have our Patreon for as little as two dollars a month. You can help support your favorite gals. You would get a bonus episode once a month ad free episodes uh we do different tiers which come with different uh, bonus episodes every month and some cool merch just check it out at patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote i think is how you get there i believe so Uh, if not patreon.com and then just search us up and you'll find us but yeah thanks for hanging out with us today we appreciate you we love you and we'll see you next time bye bye